I start recording now because we have six hours of recording to to do. No, I'm joking. We have six hours of recording in this uh, SD card. So whatever mistakes we make, racist things we say. Uh, let me see. Nazi affiliation stuff. I'm going to leave this all in, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everything we say misogynistically and everything like that uh, we can take out but I'd rather not I'll just leave it in because uh, no I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking so these are the the um, this is the past it's weird to have it in your head or not it's uh, I have to get used to it but eventually I think yeah, yeah hearing your own voice is a thing right yeah. I bought airpods recently and there they have a hearing aid function and you have the same thing so if you um, put on turn on the uh, hearing aid function you hear your own voice very loud and very clear oh my god i i never is that the new airpods yeah new airpods uh, i can let you try later it's i'm, pretty, I'm gonna try that shit. Pretty, I'm pretty gonna, oh that's amazing stuff see i learn something every day i'm starting to get older so technology is jumping ahead of me mm. i'm trying to keep up and then at the I'm, I'm i'm getting to the point where i'm like why i know how to surf the internet and that's it that's all i actually need mm. It's beautiful stuff, but we are here to talk more deeply about more deeper jujitsu-related stuff. First thing I want to ask, because you you started mentioning it, and I wanted to ask the whole time, so there's a bunch of questions I'm going to ask that I've been holding this whole time. How was Malaysia? Malaysia was awesome. Um, I went there for 19 days, 19 days for Asia, first time in Asia. Was it vacation? Um, yeah, more or less. It was, I'm just graduated. And this congratulations, thank you, thank you. And this is uh, kind of a graduation holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, my one of my best friends is Malaysian, and he um, took me around, like showed me the best places, and that's that was great because if you go there as a, a tourist without any guidance, like you probably end up in the more touristy place. You don't have the, the actually the good restaurants and now we went to like back alleys to have great food and that's an, an thing I noticed in Asia a lot of the, the food is like so much more an important part of the culture than it's in the Netherlands like we are re- quite um, when I'm in the Netherlands I prepare my, my uh, bread put some spread on it but nothing like this in Asia every meal you go out for you go out you have like great combinations a lot of different flavors different spices there's yeah. there's a kind of a tradition to food over yeah. there and that's something interesting because i miss that here in the netherlands yeah no. i miss i miss that there's there's certain kind of importance uh, to food by the way guys if you l- hear some stuff in the background we are at location we are at uh, united rotterdam at the checkmat uh, headquarters can i call it checkmat headquarters mm-hmm. so I think this adds to the sw- the the atmosphere of what we're doing. Yeah. Back to food. I love food. <laughs> you can see it by my size. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I'll stop my day to have some good food, man. You can wake me up for good food. <laughs> uh, but one of the things it's like in the Netherlands, it feels more like okay, this is my ration. This is what I'm gonna eat because I have to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and over there, they'll stop their day. Food has such a deeper meaning. Yeah, we are very pragmatic. If I get my calories, if I get my nice division of carbs, proteins, fat, then all good. Um, but isn't that more also because of you being an athlete, or is that mindset always? Mm, yeah, I talked with other people about it, and um, I have friends, of course, that, that love to go cook. But 
many of my friends, and I might still have a selection bias because I studied econometrics, and it, there you have all quite rational people that just look at the way as, yeah, this is numbers, I need my calories, I need my intake. Uh, so even with my friends, there might be a, a selection bias. Um, but where we like um, eat to live in Asia, it's more the other way around, they, they live to eat. Um, and that's yeah, that cool. is an amazing cool. thing, man. Did you get to train there or no, um, didn't look it up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we I trained in uh in one gym, but training was kind of um hard, could have could have done it, but we bought mats. So with my friend he also trains jujitsu, um yeah. got him into jujitsu. Uh, we could train every <laughs> every day and that was like, still pretty good. The yeah. more I compare jujitsu to drugs, the more re- <laughs> the more it becomes like logical to explain it to people it's like it's like guys you have to try this it's the yeah. best thing ever and uh, it, it helps you in so many ways and sometimes we a lot of people can't even explain why it's good to start doing uh, jiu they'll just go with this extraordinary enthusiasm like they're selling weed man this is the best thing man you get some buggy chokes and some like this like that's some crazy ass weed you know no experience selling weed but i can imagine it's like that like oh my <laughs> god if you if you're into to economics and ego echo what did you just say econometrics econometrics man you're gonna you would be amazing to edit i'm sorry that i'm going to bring you already in the bad path but if you have a a, a system of rationality and how it works and everything like that i say all of this because once I had a long conversation in Brazil with a drug dealer, and that was one of the best economists I've ever saw. Okay. And it wasn't like the, the same mindset, like you see this hardcore something. He was a little bit paranoid, mm-hmm. but extremely good at economics. But of course, you have to be. You're, <laughs> you're doing something very illegal, calculating pounds, profits, future sales. You're also dealing with other people so in what way was he good in economics let's say like this he could project how much he would make out of selling something illegal in brazil it's not the worst uh, thing you could do in like drugs there is um is a very big no-no but in in um in a way weed is getting more loose mm-hmm. in something but the way that he could sit down and actually write down the projections he would have for the next, and I'm not shitting you, quarter of how much he should get, how much his clients would sell, how much his clients probably ha- would have in money in the sense of being like what kind of uh, time of the year it was, how much they would need it's it's insane the more that i talked to him the more he started teaching me about business and i had that talk at the time because i opened my gym in brazil and it was failing mm-hmm. and after a talk with him and a lot of other people I, I started getting on the right path but one of the things he said like project what you need i mean you're gonna buy a product and you owe that person from who you bought because he got to a point where he bought his own stuff and he started making his own stuff but there was a point where he was, how do I say that? That he, you have to lend it the drugs, then pay back the drug dealer, the big one, while you sell off the share. So like he doesn't have to cash, cash himself. He no. 
first gets it, then he sells to the customers, then and he then gets the cash, business. then he pays back. Yeah, that's how it uh, kind of works. So in the beginning, that's how drug dealing works. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cauliflower Philosophy, <laughs> where we do a one-on-one <laughs> on how to sell drugs. <laughs> I, I have a nice addition to this. There's uh, this book called Narconomics, um, where they go into the economics of of selling drugs and drug cartels, and they um, go through the whole supply chain. So from they go to um, South America, the countries there, how they get the drugs, um, the farmers that plant the cacao leaves to uh, bring it over the border, selling it on the street. And um, the parallel in the book is basically a big corporate business. There's so many different parts involved. It's such a big supply chain. It's uh, pretty pretty awesome and pretty funny to read that parallel and start thinking about a drug cartel in that way. Like they're just high-level CEOs. I know. If you think about it purely business-wise, you're going to go like, this is super intelligent. Yeah. There's always a market. There's always demand. There's uh, and the demand is is crazy and loves it. <laughs> and then you, man, it's amazing. Sorry that we drove off the the wrong path so fast in this conversation. <laughs> Let's get back. <laughs> this is what a, what a, what a, what a, what a general conversation with us at Cauliflower is in a, in a way in a way. But let's get back. We were in Malaysia and you were trying to train over there. And one of the things is you bought your own mats. Did you buy your own mats over there? Um, yeah, my f- my friend Wayne, he bought um, the mats, like, you can buy everything very cheap there. So we bought, um, mm. for 50 bucks, we bought, like, a good um, amount of mats, so we had enough space to train, to drill. And then every morning we would uh, get some drilling in and uh, still could keep up a bit. That's insane. Yeah. That's a work ethic. Otherwise, I would probably <laughs> go crazy for three weeks without shoes. So. Yeah, because... On one point, I would say, and this is not a critique, but at one point, I would say this is amazing work ethic, work ethic mm-hmm. but it has become a necessity, in a way, to kind of have this flow. And if if we would think about it, what does this necessity mean? I mean, is it a necessity because you have to expend energy, or do you feel also like, if I don't train, I will fall behind? Mm, I think it's a, a bit of both. So, partially... Of course, as a competitor, you want to stay stay in front of people and you want to keep up with other people and keep improving so that you don't suck at your next competition. Um, but at the same time, like in the long long run, it doesn't really matter if you miss one week of training. If you are in this game for 10, 15 years, then this one week of training is less than a percent. So the other part is also yeah, just a part of your life. It's a part of your lifestyle a way to release your energy your creativity um so yeah and that's i think both parts um and one other part is probably that you have a routine uh, which you want to to stick to um, and for me if i try to create a routine it's important that i keep up that routine every day because at the moment I know this is like with jujitsu, it's non-negotiable. I want to do, <laughs> I want to do jujitsu, but with other things, um, I might start a good habit like yoga in the morning. Mm. And at the moment, I do that for a few weeks in a row, perfect. Um, and then for one week, I can do it. It's very hard for me to get back into the routine of doing yoga in the morning. And then that's also in like my mind. Okay, if I just want to keep doing it, I have to keep up my routine. Just non-negotiable. That's amazing way to think about it. Another. It, it is true. It's such a, a, a bitch of a sport in a, in a way that 
let's say it like this i was never able to correctly create routines in my life mm. in a way that it's like <coughs> for me the routines have never been um if i like doing something i will do it the whole time mm. <laughs> that's how i got into this and if i enjoy doing something there is um time kind of appears to do it you know so if i would ever plan to do yoga in the mornings it will take exactly three or five days and then i would never do it again ever <laughs> but if i go to there was, this was a period when i went to this hot sauna yoga mm-hmm. you know what's it bikram called? yoga oh my god that is but now, now it's not bikram anymore because bikram is apparently a rapist so they call it hot yoga Oh dear God! So I was doing rape yoga this whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All this time, great Netflix documentary about Bikram. <laughs> I would love to check that out, yeah, man. That is it. horrible. That is horrible. That changes my whole mind about the whole. The, the way he teaches is amazing. Like he went to the US, and there's this <laughs> whole class of people, and he's constantly bashing them. He's like saying, "You fat fuck, keep your belly in," and and they have videotapes of him doing these kind of things. So in the documentary, you see him teach and humiliate people, but people loved it, and they kept coming back. Uh, and then he went, got so big that he could uh, start giving the teacher training and stuff. And oh yeah, no! Oh story. no! That pr- that puts doing it in a sauna like in a whole different perspective. Like it's good for your muscles. Yeah, you rapist motherfucker. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just want to see mother. <laughs> You're a dirty pervert. <laughs> oh god, I feel bad about it now. Well, all right, I enjoyed doing it not with him personally, <laughs> but I enjoyed doing it for a whole while. And then once I got into it, I did it like once or twice. I said I loved it muscles felt good everything like that mind switched and then uh, i didn't have to turn it into a routine because it was like my mind was already into it in such a way that just because just added it as part of my life Mm -hmm. you know and if i would have made it into a routine like i have to go i'm not going the same problem i had with jujitsu is like the moment i said to myself like i have to go because i have to get better it didn't work but what worked was thinking thinking that way like oh my god if i don't go right now that other dude that trains with me is gonna get better and i can't let him get better than me or the guy that i competed with is gonna be one day ahead of me and i can't let that happen and the other part is like i enjoy it too much it's like it's uh it's it's the enjoyment of it it's too much but then you came back from malaysia yeah and you started training again and immediately an injury yeah like a tiny injury injury, uh, but you're gonna be back on your feet soon yeah I'm already training again, but just taking the rest and being very mm. careful, very careful with it. Yeah, it's yeah. A, the injury is a bitch. How long have you been training in total? Mm, purely jiu-jitsu, I think a bit more than four years. Um, oh, you did four years? That's yeah, great. Like between four and five years. I'm not entirely, not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, and when I was younger, um, like every Dutch kid, I did judo as well. Oh, uh, you started off with judo? Yeah, when I was like six, my parents sent me to judo classes uh, and then with my um, primary school friends I did some judo until I was maybe nine or ten um, and then um, I stopped playing judo because I got into chess and I like chess a lot more so yeah. played chess for uh, a long time then when my brother got around the age of six seven my parents sent him to a judo class and our judo school was um, every graduation all the parents and um, brothers and sisters were invited so I went to his graduation and after the graduation um, they invited the parents on the mat to do some judo um, so then I did judo with the people that um, were regularly training there and actually went pretty well and I enjoyed fighting with them 
then I started thinking, oh, maybe I should pick this up again. Um, I think this was around the age of 16. Um, and then um, I picked up judo um, for like one year, two years. Uh, mm. When I was 16, moved to Rotterdam. And in Rotterdam, because I studied in Rotterdam, mm-hmm. um, there was no good judo club there. So luckily, there was an other martial arts with a with a gi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is close enough to judo. Let me try this out. This is basically the same. This shape. is basically the same, <laughs> but just more on the ground. Uh, and then I got into touch with uh, with Daniel and Erasmus uh, BGG back then. Oh yeah, he started at Erasmus. He started, started at Erasmus, and yes. that's how I like entered my first jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu class so yeah like university brought me here and then never ever stopped again uh no i did stop again um because in the beginning i was a, a big pussy uh i got a small <laughs> injury and i thought this is not worth it like i i have pain in my toe every time i'm training this is not worth it i, I stopped so yeah. then then i didn't train for like um for like half year or a year yeah. until I really moved to Rotterdam, like get, got a got a place place there. Um, and then I thought, okay, now I have, I have to get a different sport. Let me try Jiu-Jitsu again because it was pretty nice. Yeah. And then after this one year gap, because I was a pussy for a pain in my toe, <laughs> I started training again and then more uh, gradually the training leveling, the training load increased. Like initially it was two times a week and then started to get four times a week. And during Corona it became every day and twice a day. And Corona did change a lot of people in the, in the way of becoming either stopping it or becoming really serious about yeah. it. And do you in a way remember that you went from, okay, I'm going to Rotterdam to study. I wanted to train a little bit more. I'm going to do this progressive overload and oh, progressive overload is you know, progressively increase of training. Uh, how Do you remember the switch in your mind that went to like, Listen, I'm I'm doing this now for a period that is uh, like two times, three times a week, and now I'm going consistently to 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 jujitsu because I wanted to compete. Did you always have like a com- competitive streak in you, or was it more like I want to compete? And do or what? What? The, in other words, what I'm trying to go around to explain is like what triggered the competitiveness. Mm, I think I've always been highly competitive. Oh. Um, when I was younger with judo, I liked going to the, to the tournaments. Uh, with chess, you play a tournament every every month for sure. Like sometimes, multiple times a month, you're every night at a chess club playing games um, competitively in a competition. Uh, with judo, I also tried competitions. So I didn't go to jiu-jitsu, that's your question, go to jiu-jitsu to start, or to, I didn't train jiu-jitsu to start competing it was more like i just like jiu-jitsu a lot there are competitions let me sign up for the competitions and see how it goes and that's what hooked you that's what got you hooked into it the, no, the, the competition comp- no the competition didn't really get me hooked the, i i the jiu-jitsu itself is really nice like if there wouldn't be competitions i would still be training mm. um but the competition is more like nice on the side um i really enjoy being on the mat puzzling out positions, um, being around my friends, like we were having quite a lot of fun. Um, and that's, yeah, what, what hooks me hooks me more, I think. I think it's the community, right? The community yeah. gets you into it. And then the community gets, gets me into it. And then the competition is very nice. Like it gets you, gets you to go to places, it's a nice experience. You meet people in a different way. You challenge yourself in a, in a 
yeah, in an exciting way. You, th that's a very nice aspect as well, but not what, what hooks me. Is there any parallel? Because you just mentioned like you, you competed in, in chess mm -hmm. for a long time, right? Yeah. And do you still do it? Or? No. Um, when I went to university, I stopped competing in chess. Yeah? yeah. Is there uh, any parallel in the way that you would choose to train jiu-jitsu and compete in chess or do chess? How, uh, and with that, I'm trying to get to the point is like the choices you would make in chess and the foresight you would need and uh, the strategy, let's say it like this. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you have a parallel in, in uh, jiu-jitsu? Or is it more of a... If, if your goal... Let's say I, I, I'll have it like this. Inspiring my goal is not to do anything. Is mm -hmm. not I don't have a goal doing sparring. It's, I, I know that's not the best ideal. I just want to... If somebody has a special guard, I want to solve it. That's my goal. Yeah, absolutely, in it. absolutely. If somebody has a weird passing system or has something that passes, I want to solve it. Mm. That's it. That's the only thing I want to do. Like I don't need to submit anybody. I don't care. I want to solve the thing that they're best at. Yes. I want to beat them at the best thing they can do. And if I neutralize that in my head, I'm like, all right, I got it. My question is, um, in sparring, if you have a specific goal of finishing the, 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 the sparring session and you want to beat it by submission because that is what jiu-jitsu is for, you want to submit somebody in the end, in competition you want to do the same. Would you approach it in the same way that you would approach strategically a game of chess? Mm, with chess, that's an interesting, good question. Yeah. How would you go about it to do a chess game? Yeah, so with chess it's... Uh, it's a bit different. Um, of course, you have strong points and weaker points of your opponents. Like some, um, some people in chess are very good at attacking. Some are very good in defending. Like maybe that's you have the same in jiu-jitsu, of course. But there is not so clear. Like yeah, he is very good in this kind of guard. There's not such a um, narrowed down approach. Like someone might be good in a specific opening, but the opening is the first. 10 moves, 15 moves, depends a bit how much theory there is for the opening. And after these 15 moves, um, there's an infinity of possibilities that can happen. So you can't really say, okay, yeah, he's good in the position where his pawns are in in this um, configuration because the chances that this happens every chess match are just too small, too slim. So in a chess match itself, you don't really go... Like in a free match, you don't really go like that. You do have specific chess match. So you start at position f um, after a certain pawn configuration of in a certain end game. Um, and then you start playing from there. So that's kind of what what you might be, might be what you have in Jiu-Jitsu as well. That someone might be very good in a rook end game. You put a rook end game on the board and then you start playing with them. But it doesn't really happen in a free chess match. Like there's too much... Um, variability variability to arrive in this rook endgame and you can force yourself to it but then your opponent also has to be willing to go there all this kind of stuff um, but the way of training so that you um, dissect a match in certain certain parts is, is very well possible so with chess you can dissect the match in an opening and then you have subdivisions in specific openings or you can look at specific kind of attacking positions and you can improve there. Um, and that's what, with what, you, what you can do with Jiu-Jitsu as well. It would be more like a very general 
general division. What you have with chess a lot um, is that you do tactical exercises. So in the Netherlands, um, Dutch people always, or at least initially it was the Dutch people. Um, I looked it up recently and now this method has been brought to many countries. It's a stop method um, where you have six steps and every step learns you a bit more about the game. So in the first step, you only learn the, the basic, like you learn how the, the rook moves, how the knight moves, and that's what you can go through very quickly. And then every book is like 50 pages of exercises, 12, 12, page, 12 exercises per page. You go through all of them and you have like a very firm understanding of the basic. And step two, you learn basic tactical um, attacks. So you, you learn that you have to defend your pieces. You learn how to fork, how to pin your opponent. Uh, you might learn some basic mating, mat, mate patterns. And then gradually the complexity increases, but by making many of these puzzles, you start seeing patterns in your chess games. Um, so for example, there um, is a, a basic mate, mate, mat, mate pattern. Um, and you have done 20 exercises of this. At the moment you see the board, you immediately see, ah, here I can hit this, this technique. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have in Jiu-Jitsu as well a bit. Like you are drilling a technique a lot, and then in a match you suddenly think, ah, wait, here I might be able to, to hit this, this kind of technique. Um, so that's like a few of the ways you train in Jiu-Jitsu and how you train in chess and there's like similarities between them but still mm. it's not exactly how you can it, it wouldn't be the best to uh, to there's similarities in it but is it a way that is worth thinking about if you're going to approach uh, the other thing uh, the the reason why i ask this is i'm in a phase in my life right now where i am considering like what was the benefit of me doing jiu-jitsu for so many years mm -hmm. what is the implication of it in the rest of the life in the rest of the 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 all the little things that i'm doing mm -hmm. you know like what's the implication of me doing jiu-jitsu if i wake up in the morning to go to work what mm -hmm. is the work that i'm doing what's the implication of it what's the benefit what isn't how much has it changed my mind in essence so that what i'm doing doesn't feel like i wasted my time doing athlete stuff because mm -hmm. society usually brings you in that way, right? Like mm -hmm. being an athlete is extremely taxing on your body. It's extremely taxing uh, on finances. Let's not lie. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's hard. Um, it's taxing in everything. It's uh, relationships and everything like that because you are consistently going to go, go do jujitsu, right? And the relationships you then get are purely based within jujitsu. So yes. uh, the outside world doesn't really get to participate in it in a way you know so the question i have is is there some is there for you a certain kind of connection with what you already did and in what you're already doing right now and i took chess for example yep. but i could have we could have taken economics in the study you're doing mm -hmm. like does it come back to to that and does in the other way around would you just make your chess better mm. i see i see um, now, the pattern configuration stuff you said about is amazing. I mean, if you think about it, like um, we're drilling actually until we have uh, we recognize the pattern and the reactions of people. Uh, and out of that reaction, we know what the next step is. Yes. And I think the greatest superpower is knowing what comes next in the next five seconds. Yeah. If, if I would know what happens in the next five seconds in my life, 
unstoppable. <laughs> unstoppable. Man, you could put me against anybody in the world in jiu-jitsu, man. I, if I knew what comes in the next five seconds, I, I, unstoppable. But in a way, you know that, right? Like you see someone's body language, he's gonna do a shoot now, or he's gonna. I've, I've, I've trained with very, very smart people for a while, and they have tricked me in ways that I've never, never expected. And, and the tricking happened usually in a situation where I was, and I'm purely talking about jujitsu right now, in a situation where I had two choices. Mm-hmm. And I always, they always made me choose the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. So I always expected one thing to happen, and then the exact, the other choice happened. So, so then you also know what's gonna happen. Huh? Then you also know what's going to happen. You know that the opposite is going to happen from what you think. Oh yeah, shit. Fuck. It's like the 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 three door dilemma, right? Mm. Where you go like uh, behind one of these doors, you're gonna win, mm. <laughs> and the other doors is you being heel hooked or choked out. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I have. And for a long time, training with those people, it was like I've always chosen the the, the wrong door. Mm. And I'm sure that if I would go back today with all the knowledge that I have, I'd still choose the wrong door mm. because it's so ingrained in them to to put you in a position where you. You pick or choose, and whatever you pick or choose, uh, yeah, ends that, up. that's for sure. I would use it even more s- tricky because there's like just dilemmas. Like whatever you choose, it would be the wrong choice. If you turn one way, they might take your back. If you turn the other way, they might put you into a triangle. So then you're always screwed in a way. And that's with chess uh, a bit less the case, depending on. Of course, there are there are positions where any choice you make is is bad, but before that happens, there's enough possibility to to make the right choices mm. and it's also with chess at least easier to predict what's going to happen because you can literally calculate everything it's it's less um if you have enough time in a way you can calculate the, the next four or five moves um, and then you see in the future and if you are fighting an opponent that knows even that calculated the move further that opponent will probably beat you because he he just has more computation power and can see further in the future and i think that's with with what i would do so as well quite often i can expect what's going to happen or especially if you fight with someone for the for the second or third time you know okay this is his game tactics these are the techniques he will do but still because they're so good in doing these techniques mm. you get caught with it anyway they they beat you do it anyway like there's just no no escape escape out of it Mm-hmm. Um, but back to your question um, if chess makes you better in jiu-jitsu I, th- I think for sure the way the um, the way you train with chess might might help a lot because with chess if you just play games um, then you won't won't improve because you lack this whole pattern recognition part you of course at some point will stop giving away pieces but you will never reach a very high level and that's I think the same with Jiu-Jitsu if you just do pohada every day um, you will improve <laughs> but not on the same rate as someone that does very dedicated studying and with chess um, children kind of get forced to do that like you have the or the people that follow chess according to the step method they're forced to do that they have the six steps they need to work through they have a coach um, that tells them, okay, yeah, this week we're going to work on this step, you have your homework, you come back with these kind of exercises that you did. Mm-hmm. And um, that's with Jiu-Jitsu, so the same, like you don't just do Pohada, you learn some new techniques yeah. and you start working on incorporating these techniques in your game. 
um, then what really helped me with Jutsu is doing specific sparring. Um, and that's something we added more or less during Corona before that we did specific sparring, but less than less than during Corona because Corona we have smaller mats, you cannot really go explosive all the time. Yeah. And we worked a lot on the back and it really paid off. We noticed big differences before and after Corona. Um, and that's what, what you could do with, with chess. You can put on a certain position on the board, certain end game, and you start playing it. You get a feel for the position. And through getting this feel for the position, you'll, of course, improve when you finally arrive in this position in a normal normal chess match. Um, what else can you can you do? Ah, the way the way you prepare for chess matches is also um, something I don't think many people do in Jiu-Jitsu. Um, with chess matches, you have like big databases. Um, you can find games of people online. You can find many of the things they they did in the past, um, and you can just go go through them, analyze them with a computer. You can see where they make a mistake constantly. And with chess, it's even easier because you are having a computer. You can literally let a computer compute every position. The computer says, "Okay, this is a good move. This is a bad move." So you go through it, and you can see how this is kind of the mistake he makes quite often. Mm. And then in the preparation, I would um, predict the first like 15, 20 moves um, and try to set some traps for them. And that's what not many people do with chess, I think. But if you look at high level coaches, sorry, not many people do with Jiu-Jitsu, but if you look at high level coaches, they actually go through many of the games of their competitors. They know exactly these are the weaknesses and um, they prepare their trainings for that. So at a high level, they start like really creating a camp specifically to the other person, right? Yeah, exactly. is that something you do need to do? Is is there not um, uh, two questions that arose? One was that um, that uh, if you're put in a dilemma, the you you said technical, uh, you you still fall for the one that is better technically. Is that the case if you are better tactically? So if the other person is better technically, mm -hmm. but you are better tactically... In chess? That's a jiu-jitsu. In jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That you will fall for um, the one that is better technically. Or is the one that sets up the game beforehand better? Even if they are... I mean, if you spend more time tactically preparing for the opponent and the other person prepares technically better mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. shouldn't the one that prepares tactically be at more of an advantage um, what do you mean with technically and tactically then? So technically would be like if i drill the positions that i need to do yeah and if i do it tactically i drill for the possibilities that might arise mm. Mm. so let's say like this if i know the other person i'm gonna fight with is paulo meow yeah I know he's going to bury ball on my ass. Yeah. I know it. I just know it. And I then prepare not to be the better technically, to just be a better person that can defend the bedding ball, mm -hmm. but be the better fighter that uh, uh, prepares for all the possible positions that might come mm -hmm. from my reactions. So let's say like this, I make a... Really, a, yeah. a, a detailed like plan? Detailed what? analysis, like these are the techniques that you're going to hit probably, and you yeah. prepare for all these techniques. And I prepare for all the possibilities that might come. 
but not in a technical way. I'm just preparing for them. Like, if he does this, I do that. If he does this, I do that. Do this, do that. And he's gonna do that. There's mm-hmm. no other way. He's going to get his. Uh, let's say, like in the bedroom ball, he's gonna get his Delariva hook in. He's gonna start inverting. He's gonna start doing it because he drilled that a million times. Mm-hmm. Funny story, by the way. I actually uh, actually saw videos of him doing like 500 bedroom ball or entries. <laughs> In a row, yeah, Shit. It, took, it took forever. Shit. Shit. <laughs> no, I fast forward the video by the way. No <laughs> I, I think if you're talking about uh, Paulo Mio, it's, it's a funny example. Daniel fought him um, at Europeans in the Gi, um, and there, of course, we prepared for um, Birambolos. We the work weeks before we specifically worked on seated guard pool. Mm. and um, worked on back escapes. So in a way, we, we did what you're describing now. We see, okay, these are the possibilities that might arrive, um, and we try to prepare for it. But then if you have someone that is such an expert and such a master on this position, then you can't um, overcome that with a few months, maybe even, of, of drilling. Um, so I think in that case, like it depends on the the discrepancy in 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 skill if there's like a if Daniel is good in Birambolos but compared to Miao Miao is like a master it's a, the best in Birambolos then you can't overcome that skill level in such a, a short time period um, and that's I think the same with with chess like um, if you would say that and again it's very hard to to um, so yeah, this is this person is very good in this very small area because there's so many so much vari- variability. Um, if he's really good in that position, you rather avoid the position at, at all. You don't want to come that you want to bring him to the position you're good at, um, and that's an, I think the smartest way and the most efficient way of preventing it. You don't even have to prepare for all this variability. You know what's going to happen if you're there. You know like some smart ways out. But the best thing would be to pull him into your kind of game makes sense annihilate the whole possibility of having to go into that position exactly at all and then with jiu-jitsu that's jiu-jitsu and chess that's quite hard because if you have a very skilled opponent um, then of course he will pull you into that position he just like knows thousands of ways to pull you into there I can easily say okay I'm fighting Daniel I'm not gonna get headlocked but then you know so many setups to to attack the headlock that he will get headlock anyway. It's annoying as fuck. It's, it's annoying as fuck. Daniel, if you listen to this, you're annoying as hell. Yeah, you're annoying as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautiful. Um, this is a perfect moment for a really nice segue. Uh, I have to whore myself out at this point and talk about sponsors. <laughs> so I wanted to thank all the sponsors that are helping this. And I will list them very shortly for you. Thank you very much. Mm, here we go. One, two, three. Hey, um, I just wanted to tell you guys about uh, the amazing sponsors that are out there helping the cause, the cause of bringing you more information about jiu-jitsu, making you think, and maybe you helping you out before you go to a competition that you might listen to this and might calm your nerves a little bit down so that you can have a better, you can express yourself better in during a fight. So I wanted to thank Browse Fight and I wanted to thank Apex. And I wanted to let you know that all their information and all the things that I have about them will be linked in the description below so you can find out more about them. I love their gear. I love their stuff. 
it fits perfectly browse geese are amazing they feel awesome and apex has has some wonderful things like wonderful shorts and wonderful well, rash guards also so also does browse so it's a little bit of a back and forth which who's is better and i guess the more things they give me the easier it gets to eventually decide in the future who is better nah i'm joking guys it's uh, they're both delivering amazing and quality work and uh, i love both of the people that represent them to death so it's gonna be great guys thank you very much for your attention also i wanted to let you know that on the 19th of november there's going to be a seminar with rainier the ritter at atc brought to you by aga if you didn't know aga is the team where i train at where i teach at that we started to build up with the belief that we can teach you the best of grappling and grappling is one thing with jiu-jitsu stand-up uh, wrestling the whole thing so if you're interested and if you love MMA and if you want to know how to do amazing stuff by the current light heavyweight world champion and middleweight world champion and he's fighting out of one FC if you love this kind of stuff if you love fighting if you want to gain more knowledge then uh, hit us up and join us at our seminar thank you very much everybody and I hope you have an amazing rest of the podcast Ooh. And we're back. So, in the in the little pause we had, I was uh, trying to get to the to the to the essence of what I was asking and seeing what, how it works. But uh, the chess part is with that the system that exists to teach chess to people. And I read this in a book, and it was with Marcelo Garcia. So I was mentioning it. Is that? Um, and I'll come back to this later and I'll come back to this a hundred times because I love the idea of like how do I get information to stick into somebody's head you know not only do I need communication skills mm -hmm. but I also need to actually be able to communicate something that is of essence now I know what we are trying to communicate to other people is of essence it's important and it's it's good for you in a way what is good for you but let's say that jiu-jitsu is good for you in most of the ways so my, my, my fascination is always how do people retain this information and why do if I explain something to somebody, somebody, every single human being comes out doing it in their own specific way. But let's get back to the, the chess <laughs> question, <laughs> which is, is the way of teaching chess, not maybe a really good way to also teach how you should start jiu-jitsu. Um, I think that... Again, a very good question. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to make it harder. <laughs> you think, oh, shit. We're going to talk about life and death in a minute. <laughs> I, I can go full dinner and talk about also, life and death in a meaningful yeah. way. Um, but anyway, I think that there are definitely things to take from chess um, to jiu-jitsu uh, in the way that it's being taught. And then personally, I only have experience with the, the stop and method from Kor van Weigeren. Um, but there, I know there are many different ways of teaching chess, and in yeah, in Russia they for sure do it in a different way. Russia is one of the best 
just countries in the in the world. Um, so good at it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, it's uh, insane. We'll get back to it. We'll yeah. get back to it because we'll also deviate uh, too much. Yeah. So uh, in the in the chess method, like I already said before, you start really easy in step one, and you gradually build up to very complex positions. Um, and it might be hard to transfer like the the very. You can let someone do. I think at least someone, someone do kipping, escape, uh, kipping, or sorry, um, shrimps and front rolls, which are fundamental things for like a year. You have to give them something purposeful. But um, like starting with the basics, I think is very important. Uh, you see it too often, um, or at least I've seen people that are very good in leg locks. They have a lot of success with that, but they lack everything else. And then that would be. Um, if we make the parallel with chess, it would be starting at step six, neglecting step one to five uh, of the books, um, only knowing how to do a very complex uh, mate. But at the moment that you are past, you don't know a basic side control escape, and then you'll be you'll be screwed. Um, then you for the very good leg locker in grappling industries. Um, the way Daniel played there, he was in loaded position, so like uh, cross legged. The leg locker couldn't couldn't enter him at all, but of course if you're in lotus position, um, no space to enter, which you can also not easily pass. Uh, you can easily pass because you don't have the legs to keep keep the sides protected. Um, but the the guy didn't know how to how to take that possibility. He didn't dare to take that possibility. So it was just like sitting in in front of Daniel and and looking at the referee as if Daniel was stalling, but he himself wasn't taking any initiative. And like that's I think the the lack that that you have to prevent. So uh, I think it's very important to start at the foundation um, to, for example, learn uh, escapes a lot, learn positional escapes, submission escapes a lot. But at the same time, if you're only doing that, it might not be that much fun because you can only do escapes. You never know how to do a submission. So the first one and a half year, you're stuck in, in an escape position. And even though it might be very good long term, it's not possible to keep up with it short term. Like ma not many people are dedicated enough to um, just escape positions for a long time. So I think you need to kind of merge these things. You need to merge basic foundational um, escapes, which might be the most important thing in Jiu-Jitsu, uh, with foundational attacks. And then you can start building up from there to more complex things. Um, and as well, Jiu-Jitsu might not be um, I think if you're getting better in Jiu-Jitsu, you're not just seeing simple techniques. You start creating a very own style and you start creating your own kind of techniques. You start looking at more concepts. So um, initially when a move is explained, you'll be looking at, for let's let's go to a knee slide. Um, if then you would explain it to a beginner, he would probably yeah. say, okay, you do this, you get him with your knee, you grab an underhook, you go, you go past. Um, you control the head, make a cross face. But the further you go, the the more important the concepts become. And then it becomes like, okay, if you have an, an underhook or if you can get this form of control and close a space in this kind of way, then you can start passing. And that might be... You understand what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah I'm following. Okay. And that might be... Um, it's my brain went to like visualizing what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that might be a hard thing to, to get across in... A, a step method kind of um, form that makes sense.
and everyone I think starts developing his own concepts. Yeah, and and it happens quite fast in jujitsu, like this development of your own concept. Mm. It it's so weird. It's so weird that like um, there's let's let's take it for the for the beginning because the you know Tumenergia from yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He had a very interesting question. He said, "But if we're teaching principles and basics, what are the principles and basics?" Yeah. And, and like what what is it what what can what is considered a move to be principle or basic you know and the other thing is did he also have an answer to it huh did he also have like an answer or uh, an idea to what the principle oh no we got we got stalled in it because uh we got we got into an uh, we got into a situation but i he asked me that question and i was like yeah it would be i i I came up with the answer, which was the simplest answer that I can do. And that's the answer that one of my teachers gave me in Brazil. And he said something to me that was in, if I would translate it, it's like, all this damn jujitsu is, is shrimping. <laughs> and <laughs> from beginning to end, it's like from white belt <laughs> to black belt, it's all shrimping. If you shrimp, then you win. And either you shrimp in or you shrimp out and that's it. And then he left. He left me with all these questions, <laughs> all this existential angst <laughs> and all these things like that, <laughs> that I had at that moment, which was everything is shrimping. Mm. And it was like, well, if the most basic and principal thing you could learn is like to shrimp and stand up. Yeah, that's it. And if you get that, then you become really, 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 really good at that. I mean, who's going to hold you down yeah. and what other technique isn't isn't possible to be done in that? And my question is coming back to you at the same thing, like what would be a principal move? And if we take the step system from chess as a way of teaching all of this information that we have, um, is shrimping truly the best thing ever? Or do you think that there's another basic thing that is more important? Mm. Or like, like the most important part? Of the, all, uh, to get back to the shrimping thing from white belt to black belt, they're on YouTube. These, I like these videos a lot. Um, and it's, I think it's called Armbar from White to Black Belt. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but then he, the the guy narrates an armbar, and he narrates how you see it through every belt. And he starts with a very basic armbar from like like we all know it, just from the, the most basic armbar. And then he says, okay, as white belt, you might learn to set it up from uh, a close guard. And then slowly he says, okay, in blue belt, you start seeing it as this kind of control technique. And eventually in black belt, you see it in all its complexity and it gets more complex and more complex. And that's one thing which makes Jiu-Jitsu very cool and um, like probably infinitely, um, you can do it for an infinite amount of time because constantly the techniques that you knew, know or yeah. thought you knew, um, they keep evolving and you keep seeing them in a different perspective. And that's probably what your coach is also saying. Like if we do a shrimp at white belt, and you just go to the other side of the mat without someone on top of you. But at the moment you start seeing that in escapes, then it starts getting into a different perspective. Uh, you can start seeing it in attacks and you can constantly see the technique, the basic foundational technique applied in different different kind of ways and then it becomes uh, more complex and more beautiful um, so then back to your question which was how what if there's a different foundational thing mm. like besides shrimping um, 
I wouldn't really know what um, if I would if I would t teach a complete beginner jiu-jitsu. I actually don't think I would start with um, or I know I don't start with explaining shrimping. I start with explaining techniques. So I learn them how to how to sit and mount, how to control the mount, um, how to escape the mount. Same with the back. And at some point from there, they start to distill their own foundational techniques, I feel. And I think that's, we also talked about retaining information. That might be a better way to retain information. Um, if you're, if someone tells me shrimping is the most foundational technique, but I don't know how, how it's the most foundational technique, it will be very hard for me to, to believe it. But if I get 10 techniques where I suddenly see they all use a shrimp, I think, hmm, this, this shrimp is actually important. Um, and then I figure it out at my own by seeing the pattern in all these different techniques. Yeah. And then I probably retain it better. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to start at a basic to find a more, to find the most basic technique. Um, definitely learn how to fall break. That's, that's maybe one of the, Safety, safety first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I couldn't, I can't answer that question. So. We, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one, and I've, I've been stuck on it uh, the whole, this whole time as well. It's like a, like what would be the most important thing to teach anybody during jujitsu? And I, we, as a team, or at least the inspiration I try to put down in our team, which might have gone, there, there's some things that I have to get better, but. I'm proud of taking this decision is what do you want to teach the person that comes in to do jiu-jitsu exactly. fundamentally? Do you want to teach them to do sports jiu-jitsu? Do you want to teach them self-defense? Do you want to teach them confidence? Do you want to teach them community? Do you want to teach them? What is it do you want to teach? And if I take all of that and I said, I want them all to learn that. I want them to know all of that. And what do I teach them? Well, I guess we're teaching them how to fight. Mm. And the only way to do that is having sparring sessions, you mm. know, and putting them in positions that they hate mm. or don't like and dislike and say, you're comfortable here. Mm. Like this, this, this horrible pressurized St. Kilos or side control or this horrible uh, position in somebody's mounted on you. And, you know, it's um, fight, 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 fight. And we're teaching you how to fight. You know, and uh, it's more working on a mental process of like, don't give up the position and don't give up these things and don't start that. And that we're creating very, I guess we're, we're, we're doing like, we're creating tough fighters. We're creating tough, tough people. And I'm proud of that. But do you do, you do that by teaching them foundational and principle moves or by just putting them in a position giving them some techniques and see okay yeah you become tough by actually having tough fights yeah it's um it's it's i'm trying to balance it as best as we can mm. but the focus is still like uh the focus is on uh, giving them good stuff i want to give them good techniques to go yeah. along with yeah. it of course but out of all of that if somebody gives up and somebody doesn't want it anymore or you see in their mindset that they that they're like i can't do it we want to remove that for for funny reasons also on our rash guard <laughs> that's because i had a hand in it <laughs> on the on the on the sleeve on the sleeve on the top of it it says submit your inner bitch 
<laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> because that's the love it. That's the essence of it, right? That's the essence. Of it. Oh, I got a little bit hurt. Goggins inspired. Huh? Goggins, David Goggins inspired. That was a little bit of the. Maybe I was watching David Goggins at the time, uh-huh. but it was like people were asking me, "What's this, what's our slogan?" <laughs> and I kept hammering. I think yours had his hand in that too, and Fernando as well. <laughs> I'm going to turn it to submit your inner bitch. But it does bring the essence of it. Like if people go like, like during sparring or doing a session or something is a little bit hard and somebody walks away to drink water, scientifically, biologically, I know you should be drinking water the whole time or else your performance goes down. That's Mm. logical. But it does have an argument if I bring the argument towards mental toughness. Yeah, for sure. And like, I don't we don't care if you're thirsty we don't care if you're tired you still have at least 10 years ahead of you of all of this if you want to reach black belt yeah so that mental toughness part and that part like we don't give up be comfortable in this horrible position be comfortable with the grind that it is to come here to enjoy this and all these things uh that grind factor and that mental toughness factor is something that i want to give along mm-hmm. And I think that is the essence of what I want to teach. But now, technically, what is the essence technically that I should give to somebody? That's also something that's very useful outside of Jiu-Jitsu. If you can give someone the mental toughness in Jiu-Jitsu and they can transfer it outside of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. No techniques taken into consideration. It's a very useful thing to have. I I think that that is the the essence of what I want to bring along or give along to people, you know. But then again, I want to structure it in a way it makes it valuable at, and or at least that they know what they're doing mm-hmm. right so it's not like we drop you in a shark tank and like swim mm-hmm. <laughs> survive why mm-hmm. because if you don't swim and don't survive you're going to turn to food and maybe that's the but i want to give them also the tools to be able to swim properly yeah. to stay afloat and eventually turn into a shark <laughs> and, and that's uh i think that's the the essence of it um i want to do but you um that's the essence of what I'm trying to teach, you know? And then if we go back to techniques and the methods in which we want to do, you guys, you thought up of a method of teaching, right? Mm-hmm. You have an yeah. interesting way. Do you yeah. think you could share it with the rest of the world? Yeah, or is I it share it with the rest of the world. Um, it's going to be, be a checkmate secret. No, no, it's not a checkmate secret. Um, I'd be curious to, to hear feedback on it as well from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we... Um, what I think is very important in Jiu-Jitsu is that you're a strong independent learner um, and going to class, um, giving all the responsibility away to your coach to prepare the techniques. That's something that's something I really want to like focus again on. Like the fact that you said that be a strong independent learner mm-hmm. is so important in everything so you important. do. Yeah. So just mark that for everybody <laughs> that's listening. Be a strong independent learner. Do homework. Absolutely. Do absolutely. homework in everything you do. Yeah. And not only just like with anything, I don't really um, think it's a good thing if people just give all the responsibility away, even though it's a very easy thing and something that people tend to do easily. Um, but any time that I go to class, I know what I'm going to work on. I have my goal set. I um, know when the training is a failure, quote unquote, and when it's a success, because I know beforehand, okay, I'm going to try to improve these positions I'm gonna work on this um, so um, what Savage um, he is one of my teammates um, called actually called Savage and 
also actually a savage, which is a funny coincidence. His name is Savage? Yeah, his name is Savage. <laughs> That's uh, some savage parents then. Yeah, some savage parents. <laughs> uh, savage is the best, funniest guy in the room. Um, uh, that'll be the name of my son one day. No, something more like You live up to your name. Yeah, so, yeah. Gorilla, come here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we did, we wanted to create, we wanted to make people more independent learners uh, and we recorded techniques um, of the week in the beginning of the week. Then on the Sunday, we put it online. Yeah. People could watch it and they came to the trainings prepared. Um, they we, um, divided the training in three parts, 30 minutes drilling, 30 minutes specific sparring from the position we would do this week and 30 minutes of um, free sparring. So... No more warm-ups, huh? No, but the drilling is more or less a warm-up. That's the best way of doing it. Thank yeah, you so exactly. much for saying that. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to shrimp ever again, like from one point to the other, yeah. or butt scoot, or whatever it is, exactly. or rolling. No, I'm purple belt, I can do it as well. Yeah, there you go. Skip it. Skip, Skip warm-ups. It. Mm. Mm. But, um, yeah, and then people would come to the class prepared. Um, we gave them extra, so we recorded videos, and we also gave them extra materials they could study. So we gave them matches in which these materials were hit. Uh, we would refer them to a YouTube video where it would be explained in a different way. Um, might They could ask us questions before going to class. And then you really put the responsibility or a part of the responsibility, not, not even all the responsibility, at a part of the student. So the student has to do everything at home. If he doesn't come prepared to training, his training is basically worthless because yeah, there's no technique he knows how to do. Um, and to kind of ease them into it, we would still show it in the beginning of the class, but the idea is to let them come to training prepared. And at training, they drill, um, Savage and me would walk around uh, and um, would, Savage and me would walk around and answer any questions that, that people have um, after the 30 minutes, sit in a circle, see what people run into. And um, it's a, it was a really cool way of experimenting, of uh, teaching teaching classes. Then later, uh, we discovered that Lexion Gels is doing something something similar with his sub-meta. Um, have you seen that? I have not seen that already. It's, it's very interesting. Could you explain it? Yeah, so <coughs> Lexion Gels has been working on this online learning platform the past years. Um, and of course, he has a lot of YouTube content and he basically transferred that to an online learning platform, mm. um, quite similar to the step methods where he starts with very basic positions, basic escapes, um, basic mount techniques, and then goes more complex over time. Um, he locks people from his gym or he connects people from his gym to that system. So everyone has an account to that platform. And after the beginners, they have to go through all the beginners class, of course, and they have to drill that in the class. So everyone is working at something different, if I understand the concept correctly. And then at some point, if you have a strong foundation, um, he could say, okay, this um, this guy, um, a butterfly guard fits fits him well. And he has a butterfly guard section on his, on his course. So he would... Um, let the he would let a student do the butterfly guard he's gonna work on that the coming week for coming month i'm not sure how long he would do it um probably in like a similar setup as we did it like three parts drilling specific sparring and then the free sparring and then um the you could really tailor 
the techniques to what someone needs and they still have their own responsibility of coming to class prepared and um, doing that. So it's, it's for me a very cool way of um, improving someone because that's how I felt I improved a lot during Corona. Um, there were no, no classes um, and you're forced to sit at home, do a lot, you um, discuss with your teammates, you put together, okay, I'm studying this, what do you get out of this? And then, yeah. yeah. And I also feel that adding technology in that way to it is is essential essential i uh, i reference uh, the fact that if you look uh, before bjj fanatics i uh, i trained under hibero mm -hmm. so we all had to buy the ribero university book yeah. you know the one that that does give a lot of information you know but it was a book and we need to write it down we need to have it like at hand and like this because it's too much information it's too big i was having one discussion with somebody from um uh with you yuri in one of my podcasts mm -hmm. and he mentioned something amazing he says um, all all if not most of the jujitsu he learned was from vhs tapes Mm. That's how old he started learning. Like yes. he's he's been in a he's been in long there long time. He's been in a long time. Like VHS tapes from Eddie Bravo, from Catch Can and stuff like that. That's how he learned, and he's good at it. I mean, he's an if you ask him any position, he'll give a freaky name for it because he learned other names for that mm -hmm. stuff. But he will basically know a solution to every single position that there is. You know. And really a, a brilliant mind to talk to. And he said, like, it'll take you three lifetimes to learn this shit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's too much. It's too much. And even if we have uh, all this BJJ fanatic stuff and all these things like that, it's like it's too much information. That's why we have to integrate it. So the idea that you guys having of propagating that, like, let's do, let's film it. Let's give it to people. Let's explain the way it gives it a lot more structure. It's a lot more. Beautiful. I think it has to happen. And a cool thing about that is as well, you can... Um, start giving structures to other so I know in, in um, Stark I'm not sure if you heard of that it's um, set up by Dario Provost um, in Belgium Stark Gent um, they kind of he started the gym as a blue belt and I don't mm. think he gives many classes but he kind of does it like this so he doesn't have his um, he doesn't have a, a black belt he doesn't teaches much classes himself but if you add this technology in um, and you're a black belt you create this learning platform you can set up a gym everywhere um, they have your learning course and they can start learning from you via the technology you understand what I'm saying? I get it it becomes kind of an online platform where you can connect the gym to and you're coaching from a distance without that is so a smart. coach being present Oh my god, that is so smart! Yeah, damn, people are smart nowadays. Yeah, I, I always get angry. I'm like, I could have thought about that, but <laughs> no. But congratulations to him. That is indeed. There is the aspect that I still miss, which is like, what 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 differentiates jujitsu from every single other sport is we spar every single day. Yeah, we spar every single training, and I think that the the teaching that is there during the sparring is essential absolutely it, it it comes and then you miss out it's it's let's take it like this for all the people that are going to comment on this and argue about this i know that only watching vhs tapes and only watching the pgj fanatics and like that, that's just a part to help you 
it's not the whole thing you know mm-hmm. it's just it's just a little essence of it i mean the whole thing that gets there and what i wanted to say with the sparring stuff is that if you miss out on that you're not going to learn as much as you could mm-hmm. only reading books and reading yeah like, yeah no i completely agree with that um if you just just watch them and you don't apply it into practice you don't try to make it part of your game you're never going to hit it anywhere yeah. uh, you have to to spar for it as well but what what is, do you think should be the the balance of like studying vhs tapes and actually spar and sparring like is there there's probably a balance probably a sweet spot <laughs> not 50 50 mm-hmm. <laughs> not that not that not that that's a really good question um i would say that there is a greater there should be a greater attention to but that's me there should be a greater attention to flow rolling Mm-hmm. than anything else that you do absolutely than anything other than you do and but also i'm a propagator of of that that there is there is something i'm going to touch on and it's really 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 obscure and it it's something that fascinates me so i read the book um miyamoto musashi the book of five rings beautiful book an amazing book and I'm, i have to make a book list for this podcasts and uh, yeah, you I, do. I've been I've been I so the next podcast knows would be nice like book recommendations yes i want to w- i've been thinking about that stuff in, in for a long while i'm going to ask everybody that i that i um interviewed for now or talked to for now to give me book recommendations mm-hmm. you know and definitely one on the list would be the book of five rings the end of the book is the book of void and it's like um if i were to explain it without you having reading it in the simplest way it's um it will be like doing the action without necessarily thinking about it or being in a sort of flow state mm-hmm. is the best mm-hmm. way to do it but then again you're completely conscious and knowing what you're doing the whole time you just your body acts naturally instinctively to a situation uh determined no no doubt but the whole time it's happening your your present of mind so it's not like a if uh something falls down and you catch it in the middle of the air and you kind of do it like out of reflex which you and then afterwards you go like whoa i caught that i'm getting good at jujitsu <laughs> i have those moments <laughs> when it happens in front of students and they're like hey <laughs> this is why i'm a black belt this is a black belt insane reaction time um it's not that it goes a little bit further because it would mean that you would see the object falling you mm-hmm. would react to it and naturally already have caught it mm-hmm. that moment that void moment that moment of being empty and just reactive but yet completely conscious and presence of mind i don't want to say it's like mindfulness i don't think that that word does justifies this because you could you you could be in that position or in that moment for a longer time or a longer period than just a, a, a certain stretch of your life where you're mindful of it no it it's a little bit deeper than that i feel and that's something that i want to awaken more or that's something that i want to train more or that's something that we want to go more but the only way to getting that is doing the first couple of chapters mm. of the book of five rings doing the first four rings which is technique repetition fighting everything like that and then you're going to be able to do it so just to like at the moment you would have this example of something falling you're going to catch it in your 
naturally you already caught it, but it's not yet in your hand, then you're in this void. Then you're in the void moment. Okay. That's that's kind of the, the, the situation. That's the best way for me to explain it, but I'm butchering it while trying to explain it mm. like that. And the best way of explaining it is, you know how you sometimes flow roll with somebody and yeah. then suddenly the timer goes and you go like, Time already went. Yeah. But timer already went? We did all of that and you did a bunch of moves, you did a bunch of attacks, you did a bunch of things, you were just flowing in that state, you were mm -hmm. present in the state, you were actively attacking, you knew what you were doing, but time seems to slip away, mm -hmm. your mind was completely empty, but you're so keenly aware of every single thing you're doing right there, that thing, that thing that I cannot mention, <laughs> or that can I cannot put words to except for... It's a void state. It's a little bit uh, like a flow state, but... Do you have other things as well? Hmm? Do you have this state with other, in other domains besides Jiu-Jitsu as well? The, the, the thing I can get outside of fighting, no. Outside of fighting, I do not have that. Uh, writing, I have that with writing. Mm. And I have that, uh, yeah, with writing, I have that a lot. Uh, outside of fighting I don't really have it and the thing that comes closest to it but it, it's wrong it's not the best way you know how you're sometimes driving home <laughs> and you're home <laughs> and you're like how the fuck did I get here <laughs> I mean I was doing other shit over yeah. there, and then you're like oh my god we're almost there this is the Aufschlag <laughs> to <laughs> my house <laughs> that but that's not that's not the correct way of doing it because my mind was doing a bunch of other shit, you know, and then I got home on automatism, actually. It's that, but then I would have to be present mindfully. Mm. And that's the thing that, that, I mean, transcends or gives the deeper essence to what we're trying to teach, I think, for me. Yeah, I can relate a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah. You, you get those moments too, right? I get those moments a lot with, with training... Um, exactly how you describe it you're not necessarily flow rolling at the moment you're doing pohada you can also have the same thing like you're just so in the moment that you can think of anything else and everything almost goes fluently automatically and the timer goes um, you say you have a writing I have a bit with coding um, I like to program oh, and there you go. then you you're coding um, suddenly you get a timer and it's it's past midnight. Uh, well, it's absolutely not. You you have been coding for five six hours without even being conscious of, be, of of taking such a long time to code, and everything went very smoothly. Um, with snowboarding, I have a similar feeling. Yeah. Um, you're just flowing off the mountain, um, present there. I, I think these would be similar moments like that. Um, there's a book Deep Work by Con Newport yeah. and um, I'm not sure if he's talking about the void and I'm also not sure if I'm talking about the void myself but like if, mm -hmm. if I hear your description then like this flow state is the closest I can can, can relate to it and he um, gives you he, he um, gives ways uh, to um, get into this flow state um, and according to him in this flow state you can get the most things done um, most effectively in the shortest amount of time and the, uh, the optimal state for him is of, of deep work 
uh, focus work, not being distracted by anything, like four hours. So he schedules his days in these periods of four hours. And that's pretty interesting. And uh, when he when he writes about it, uh, he gets a lot done. He's, I think he has a PhD and uh, company some other things. Man, that's yeah. insane. And I, I know that it sounds like, why would you... It, it feels like a good use of it. And the, the state in itself is so amazing to be in. It's enjoyable. It makes work enjoyable. Yep. You know? And even if you like doing certain kind of work, to get to the point where you're coding for so long, you know, like in essence, none of us want to do that. All of us want to sit down and watch cartoons and mm-hmm. <laughs> eat a bunch of shit <laughs> and do other stuff. And I know that there's... But being in that state mostly almost makes everything enjoyable yeah. to a certain point. Um, but you can probably only get into that state if you already enjoy something to begin with. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Like yes at the yes, moment, yes. I would be working... Ah, I worked uh, at Jumbo as a... Um, uh, Ayakuk, I'm not sure what's the... Ayakuk? Ayakuk was the English word. Um, <laughs> but then I had to constantly put the dough for the Ayakuka on a, on a plate. And that's the most mind-numbing word. Uh, mind-numbing work. And even though it's mind-numbing, you're fully focused on doing that. I couldn't get into a float state. It's just like too boring and yeah, too unenjoyable. factory work. Yeah, exactly. It's factory work. Um, so I think you need to enjoy the what thing you're, you're doing, doing. to I, get into it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. And these are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm truly chasing in a way in, in, in life and everything like that. I can put a nice juxtaposition or not, not just a position. I can, I can, um, this is something that is relatable, but then on the whole other side of it. And this then also exemplifies why I try to bring everything together with what I decided to do. And, and the thing that I decided to do was do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. The other thing I decided to do is be a Christian, in a way, and that also required, and, and that has a really, really interesting little thing, which is, uh, in its lore and in its essence, um, everything we do is kind of a path to heaven, mm-hmm. right? So, or a path to hell. You you kind of walk that path, mm-hmm. but at the beginning of Christianity, mm-hmm. right at the beginning, right there in your own life in your own experience, you choose. And the choice that you make is like, will I accept uh, Jesus? Will I accept Christianity? Will I accept that? Is that something that I will believe in? Will I accept it? Accepting it means that you start your path off to heaven. And which means also that you leave everything behind you that before that Mm -hmm. and start walking that path, which will take you in the opposite direction of the path to hell. Mm -hmm. Unless you kind of stop following the rules or stop following that path. It's not so much about rules and something like that. The interesting thing is, the moment you choose, uh, you're giving everything. It's like that. The moment you choose, the 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 rule or the 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 idea is, from that moment on, you're saved. You're going to heaven, no matter what. If you would die the next second, you're in heaven because okay. you made the choice, okay. and it's given to you. So it doesn't mean that you. Um, and this is the thing: like, it's not a question of like how many good things have I done mm-hmm. compared to how many bad things that I've done. Mm-hmm. The thing is that you made the choice to do it, mm-hmm. and that really turns it around. That's very interesting. And then you're going to start. Once you start this path, you're going to start paying attention to the rules. Oh, I have to follow the rules exactly and everything like that, or else I'm going to hell. And then the other thing is, um, if I keep doing the wrong thing consistently, 
I'm I'm going to go to hell too. So that's again, it's like if if I miss the mark or if I'm not doing it, uh, if I'm not doing it correctly, then I'm going to go to hell. And then after a while, the longer you stay into it, and you said, "Oh, this doesn't have anything to do with it. It's not a question of me following the rules because mm-hmm. then I'm the same person that I was before, and I'm still following the rules." So it's may it's more of a state of being. Mm-hmm. Once you choose to do that and you become it then it's a straight shot and once you are the person that which happens to a lot of people once you're i'm butchering this as well but i i, I bring it forward like in my mind and then i can bring follow it, you more or less and and i can and i'll make the connection with jiu-jitsu in a moment okay. <laughs> training jesus in jiu-jitsu <laughs> <laughs> and drug deals that's how we started <laughs> that's how this conversation is going right now ladies and gentlemen um that then comes down to um that state of being is then for me in the same way like a flow state mm-hmm. if i keep thinking about it if i keep my head like oh i'm going to do the wrong thing i'm going to do the wrong thing and uh, this i should be pay attention to what stuff Th- those are things that if i keep thinking about it i'll then end up going the other direction instead of going to the direction that i wanted which is the path to heaven Mm-hmm. Right, making life better for everybody, for myself and everybody around me. Mm-hmm. Um, in if I go back to jujitsu, the same thing. The more I think about which technique and drills and all these things that I have to do, the more I'm going to get stuck in rules. The more I'm going to st- get stuck in the positions. The less I'm going to be able to do the flow roll, which ultimately puts me in a state of being or in a state of void. Which gives me the best experience. Is this useful for competition? I don't know yet because I was never able to get in a true flow state in competition. It was very, very, very strategical, very, very step by step. Every single time I competed, like one, two, three, four, and either I fuck it up and lose, or either I don't fuck it up and I get it right. When you're competing, do you ever have this? Um, like you are fighting everything else just goes away except the voice of your coach and suddenly the match is over or you hit someone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't that like very similar to the flow state of what you're describing or still different Oof. yes but I'm so full of that could be that could be um, why did I say not to competition is because I get very very anxious if I'm going to go uh. to compete I'm the kind of person that, but I need it mm-hmm. I need it I I realize that if I go too calm into a competition, I have a lot of fun, but it's it's a it doesn't bring me results. Okay. I just have fun, okay. and I'm like, well, this isn't competition, right? This isn't this doesn't convey the 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 danger that I wanted to convey. Yeah. In in a way, so um, yeah, you could say it is, but maybe in my deeper self, the what I want is to go into a competition, be calm, be happy, be mm. chill but still have the danger and all that stuff, but not suffer with the anxiety of going to another yeah. competition. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. To go back to what you said about choosing to be a Christian, mm. you're, at the moment you, you say that at the moment you choose, then the path to heaven is straight, right? Yeah. So like then you, can you also um, say, um, not sure if, choose to get off that path is the right way so mm. like people choose to become a christian but they might 
be distracted and go to the path to hell or that doesn't happen because after the choice Jesus will help you to walk this path Uh, Oof, uh, okay, theology <laughs> and, and, and religiousness. Uh, that is... Um, no, if you do so, by the way, it's the same. Like at the moment you decide to be an athlete, yeah. but you would injure your, your leg, your knee like, so badly that you can never do so anymore. Um, you might become a jump tenor that coaches people with hip replacement, so he still went to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But many people uh, also stop being an athlete. They, they let their choice what it was that project is over yeah but that's then that that comes then down to our perception to what it actually means to what does it mean to you is doing jiu-jitsu does that mean to you i have to be an athlete mm -hmm. do i have to practice it every single day or if i just coach it is it am i then not only practicing it or if i'm there supporting it in any other kind of way shape or form mm -hmm. and i have a, a good one like One of our students uh, yesterday in competition made food for everybody. Nice. And but yeah, like little food Sweet. packets. Like, oh, that's so amazing, man. <laughs> shout out amazing. to her, wherever she is now. <laughs> hey, shout out to her. Man, she made like food packages for everybody. That's in a way living towards it, living to it, being a good person overall, but also like living the jiu-jitsu life. She didn't have to do it, but she did. Does that not also count? And then... Then we have it certain suddenly a spectrum of what it means to be doing jujitsu or fighting and other stuff like that. And we also have the spectrum then with being a Christian. Uh, yes, but when uh, in Christianity we also have to add the following problem, which is um, does the choice even matter? Because if we're talking about a God uh, that is uh, forever infinite. Mm -hmm. Then we have the following problem. It's like, uh, he knows who's going to have an enduro. He knows who's made the choice. Uh, so we have the thing about predestination. So mm -hmm. the choice you made was the choice you were always supposed to make. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote it. I'll, I'll get back to this, but I wrote a text about this a little while ago and how I connect one to the other. Um, once you... When, does it matter if you make the choice if you're predestined to go either way mm -hmm. all right and um, if you start on a path on the path to heaven um, which is uh, the path of good we could say would you then if you deviate from the path and go away from that path weren't you supposed to go that way the whole time Is there something in a voice, in, in a message, in, in, a, in a presence that will tell you from like, yeah, you're going the wrong way? I think we all have that. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we all have. We all mm -hmm. agree on certain rules and we all agree on certain kind of things. And like, we all agree that IBGJF rules are shit. <laughs> Retweet. <laughs> so, you know what I'm trying to get at? It's like, um, you, you also have to factor in the predestination part. Um, then it comes back down to the thing like we know where we started so when we when we know where we started and we know that there is an end mm -hmm. um, God knows everything that's happening in between before and after but we don't so that's a good enough reason to say that the choice matters mm. now to say if the choice that you that whatever happens to you in the end was supposed to happen either way I think that's a too deep of a question for me to answer. 
and something I struggle with at the same time because that would also mean that uh, should I take responsibility for the things that I do mm-hmm. because I was meant to do them either way exactly Exactly. You see what the problem is? Yep. It does because I don't know what the because the, for the fact that I don't know what's coming, I'm responsible to take the decision that I'm taking right now. But they were supposed to happen anyway, so what what doesn't matter? You know, no. cosmic scheme. I don't know. If I bring it back to jujitsu and I bring back a, an interesting little point, uh, me uh, Paulo Miao made this point and I elaborated a little bit on it but um, there's a verse in the Bible that says it's Psalm 23 and it starts like this uh, God is my shepherd and I shall not want which means that there's somebody taking care this of is me the verse about the dark valley yeah that's the one yeah. that's the one exactly one. Uh, even if I walk to the valley of shadow that yeah. I shall feel no evil because his rod and his staff will like, man I'm good at this yeah. Ooh, I, got I hope my parents don't like listen a... to this stuff man I get extra points <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not all bad. <laughs> Did you sue Black Belt Podcast <laughs> Minister? Yeah. Oh, shit. That's a, I, want to, I should stop saying shit and fuck. And, uh, that. <laughs> uh, but there's a little interesting thing. So, uh, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, which means there's somebody taking care of me mm-hmm. and I will not, uh, I will be not lacking in anything in my life. Now, we prepare to go to competition in the most absurd ways possible. We lose weight, we watch our food, we drive our lives into that direction in a certain way, right? We drill, we go through injury, we go through everything, we go through the mental toughness, the anxiety, the depression of (laughs) winning, losing, whatever, and we go through all of that. There's a lot we do to get there. But the moment we step on the mat, at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't. The moment we step on the mat to go fight, it's up in the air. It doesn't matter how much you prepare, how much you do, and everything like that. And I like to make, like, it's a roll of the dice, or it's uh, up to the gods, or it's up to God. And it's up to whatever luck, fortune, fate, favor, and so forth. Because I could be completely unprepared going to a fight that's really good. I could fight Gordon, and this is a shout-out to... No, this is a challenge Take the to, Gordon. <laughs> this, is, this is the challenge to Gordon Ryan, if you're listening. <laughs> Fuck you up. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Probably not, but it it's a probability or it's a possibility that I walk into a match with Gordon Ryan and the moment we slap hands and bump, he slips up and falls with my rear naked choke completely mm-hmm. deep and, and he can't get up. It's not a likely possibility, mm-hmm. but still one that can happen. So at that point, once you walk into the match and you see your opponent, everybody gets that little feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to win or lose. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess the void state kind of negates that because you just are instead of thinking like what might come. Mm-hmm. I tried to make the connection. I don't know if it was a, if I was good at it. But, but, but then, for example, if, if Gordon Ryan would slip up, yeah. then would you say that's a, a God-given thing? Or it's like meant to, you don't know if meant to happen, just when you say it's up in the air? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, the the thing is that whatever is going to happen is kind of supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And the choice that he made to come and fight, prepare himself, go in there, he could never have prepared for an unforeseeable situation, Mm -hmm. which is not his choice. And if something happens that is not your choice, then whose choice was it? 
it wasn't mine. I didn't put anything on the floor for him to slip up. It wasn't the judges. It wasn't the people watching. It wasn't anything. It just happens. It's just a freak accident in, in a way. And then I'm the kind of person that says, like, I don't believe that there are things like freak accidents. Okay. You know, and like, in a way, it was determined that it should happen like that. I'm, I know I get very unpopular if I say this kind of shit, right? Mm. <laughs> because it has a bunch of implications to it. But, well, this is the kind of way that I see it. Like, this is this, all, everything is kind of planned out. And then once you go into the match, into a fight, uh, it's planned out if you're going to win or lose. Mm. Like, you prepare as much as you can, and you prepare yourself in this. And it's, of course, the the one that deserves it more. Or uh, That's also not a way of saying it. I'd say, like, uh, if you go into a match, you might win, you might lose. Mm. Right? And because it's such an uncertainty, like how the coin will fall, um, I think, I think truly that every single match is up in the air. It's a, it's gonna happen how it's supposed to happen in a way. Yeah, and you have upsets, which kind of prove that point that it, it's up in the air is not a given thing that yeah. the the best person always wins. Oh, you know who has that a lot? Uh, boxers. Boxers have that. They train, they train, they train a lot, but there's always something like a lucky punch. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing. Uh, Ryan Hall often makes this point that he says, yeah, boxers, they think they're the best, but they, in a way, they have just been lucky 10 times in a row uh, mm. because they 10 times didn't have this lucky punch uh, against them. Um, but then with Jiu-Jitsu, I feel the, the luck part is very slim. Um, if if a Gordon Ryan goes to ADCC, of course he could have lost he could have slipped up but um, the chances of him slipping up are also very slim um, at the moment he has a, a fully he has a fully locked on renek choke there's not really a chance that he will fuck up of course when you have a white belt on your back they have a fully locked on renek choke there's a chance that they will fuck up They you might be able to escape that but at some point of mastery all the variability and the coincidence is removed, I think. Um, to come back to chess, you have a similar thing. Like, there's a lot of variability, but um, a person with a with a, a Magnus Carlsen who has maybe like, like 2,800 ELO or up, like the best chess player in the world, is playing a person with a 1,100 rating. There's actually a formula to calculate the probability of the 1,100 person winning. Um, because that's the ELO thing that you can calculate these probabilities. But the chances of the 1100 person winning are close to zero. And that's, like Magnus Carlsen wouldn't, wouldn't, like there is no coincidence in that. You can know beforehand. Um, and there's always some form of luck, but I feel with many things, the luck is minimal super it gets it's close it, to zero the, the more expert you are the close to zero it gets yeah. there's no f- no real freak accidents anymore and that's the beauty of why i like the sport because the close even the closest point you get to zero mm-hmm. it's still there yeah no, it's, it will always be there <laughs> it, it's still there and that's still there is such a major upset you yeah. know i mean felipe pena beat gordon three times and then Gordon beat him 
I, I call it a beating, by the way. <laughs> it's everybody. a beating. It's a beating. It's a beating. He was beating. He he beat him up, and then he didn't even get the chance to do it again in the in the other way. It's to me, it's like uh, it's there, it's done. You know, Gordon Gordon would beat him in any other situation, but you don't know. You don't know. You don't know in like uh, what will be the situation in two years, three years. Will he get better? Will he get worse? And that's 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 the beauty of it. I think that's the beauty of this whole this whole fighting game because mm. at the end. I usually play around and say like uh, I think the most scariest thing in the world would be uh, jujitsu fighters with a knife. Knife <laughs> 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 up the sleeve. Yeah, it's, it's it's still the scariest thing in the world. It like, happened in the ADC recently, right? Oh my god, yes. I mean, crazy ass motherfucker. I mean, but I did he really pull a knife or was it the chain in his pocket or something like that? Because that was a thing. What I heard was it was a knife. But, um, yeah, he I, pulled the knife? I didn't Cra- see footage or anything. I just like heard the story. Crazy gangster ass motherfucker crazy. walks into a <laughs> 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 Why you say the da- most dangerous thing is a knife? Juice fight with a knife. Well, imagine somebody at that close quarters with mm. that much control mm. and a pointy weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and a pointy weapon like if he if he could like that would i don't know i double with if he held it in his mouth that would weaponize him from top to toe <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure, for sure. I, I say this because uh, um there was also the, the capoeira mm-hmm. has a very very an old style of capoeira it it does um it has a i i know i knew this already but i mentioned it with two minutes in the last podcast is they used to fight with like razor blades okay but the razor blades they put between their toes so you know those old razor blades that yeah. people the, the barbers use yes, yes. you know they still use it so if you fold it up you can actually hold it between your toes and yeah. they would train to hold it between their big toe and their uh, the next toe yes which i don't think has a name but index toe the index toe <laughs> <laughs> which would make the next toe the middle toe <laughs> 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 oh god the toe between the, the 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 big toe and the middle finger toe <laughs> they will hold it there somewhere right and they will do capoeira and it's really damaging because it's it's just every single kick that kind of hits or slightly hits because then then they start training on glancing blows mm-hmm. will leave a deep fucking gash in people right but that's an right. illegal thing i assume right oh it used to be now they still train it but they train it with blunt stuff you know but still it's like that that used to be like an a thing that you just hold the knife between yeah. your we they still train it because it's still part of the whole thing right mm. they used to have one where you have to but, but it's actually a part of the stone to it's actually a part of the ah, stone okay. i i traditionally that's, yes that's sick. so that's why i still because it's a like karate it doesn't do any not much more with weapons in competition but traditionally everything has a weapon in his hands mm. and that's what i'm thinking you know like uh, there's also videos out there of uh, like people fully dressed in samurai stuff in japan and then they go fight each other with uh, with the swords and everything like that using jujitsu yo it's scary yes. because yes. you'll see a double leg takedown and then somebody pull a knife <laughs> out of their hand and then just go and you're like <gasps> oh my god i'm so happy that this doesn't happen Dope. Dope ass shit. Dope it's amazing. Shit. It changes also your complete view. Then you go like, oh, that's why mount is such a strong position. Mm. That's why back take is such a strong position. That's why side control is such a strong position. Because if we start calculating weapons into this game, then you go like, oh, no. Yeah. But then if you calculate weapons, you would always pick a gun. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu with guns would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bit weird, but... 
it, it, then you can give like the, the most pull guard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how they do jujitsu in Brazil. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. Oh, shit, uh, man. But then, um, yeah, that's to some extent, I, I, of course, it's a cool thought experiment, but um, I feel that the, the fighting the jujitsu and the mount is a strong position, but you can't start incorporating guns or can start incorporating weapons. Because mm. at the moment you start incorporating weapons, you can take the most crazy weapon uh, and you always will beat any yeah. person, any martial arts. Yeah. Um, I I think that in many cases where a jiu-jitsu fighter fights someone with a, an untrained person with a knife, that the untrained person with a knife will still win. Um, yeah. Like maybe you you can dominate them a bit more, but if you're really holding a knife in a strong way and you don't let it go because of some crazy Aikido wrist lock, yeah. then you stab someone once, twice, long, yeah, they don't think that's a yeah, good thing. They're not gonna, no, no, it's bad. Don't, don't fight on the street. I do, the guys don't fight on the street. Kids, stop it. Exactly. Uh, there is one, there's videos about, uh, you know Tim Kennedy? Mm-hmm. Like sh- uh, Sheepdog Response? Don't know Sheepdog Response. Um, so he has a bunch of videos out where he takes uh, self-defense stuff and he built this whole system and i love tim kennedy for himself and his stories Mm -hmm. right so everything he does to me is i'm already sympathetic towards Mm -hmm. it might not be the best thing ever but i already like him because of who he is um he has a bunch of trainings out there that are um like fighting people with using this jujitsu using this close quarter stuff and then you end up always doing jujitsu, actually, mm-hmm. um, with uh, people with guns and fake guns and fake knives and everything like that, and start checking out what's possible and all the techniques and stuff like that. And you'd see that it really works if you know what you're doing, right? If you don't let somebody unholster their gun completely. Mm. And in Brazil, there's also a bunch of videos of like the police there, and not the simple because we have a bunch of different police. You have like uh, the the higher up police. Right, so the serious police that really like guerrilla warfare and stuff like that, and city warfare, and they're completely trained into that. They'll uh, throw a gun in the middle of two fighters, right, of two guys, and say like, uh, "Let's go!" First one with a gun, uh, 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 <laughs> the first one to shoot the other one wins, and the, with paintballs or something, yeah, like that, yeah. you know. But they'll they'll go at it once once it goes off, right, and it hits somebody, then it's then it's over. That's another kind of thing, man. Yeah. It, but the amount of similar techniques you'll see and mm. the amount of basic techniques, a lot more wrestling, mm. mo- a lot more wrestling up, uh, nothing with the legs, no touching the leg locks and stuff like that. It would be a bit stupid it. if you're like yeah. attacking a leg and someone points a gun at you. Papa, I win. <laughs> but I broke your knee. And, and that's one of the things. They're not allowed to punch each other, but open hand slaps are allowed. Mm-hmm. And once you watch that, then you go like, oh, my God, there's a lot here that I can teach. There's a lot here that I know how to do. But the moment you put like a gun or something in that in that middle of the that, that game, like first one to have the gun point shoot, mm-hmm. like is, is it, it It brings another level yeah. of, of adrenaline to this game. And it makes it like that's one of the most the things that give adrenaline to you. So you know that you're fighting and 
if you don't pay attention, your arm gets broken or you can be put to sleep. The moment you have a gun, it's even indeed more dangerous. You know, if I'm not doing it right, I'll be shot. And of course, we have paintball, but yeah. Yeah. you make it as, as real as possible. Oh my God, we should start those trainings here. Will be, will be fun. Yeah, I will be down for it. You know what, what's a good one that I saw uh, Keenan Cornelius do once? Okay. With markers. I give you a marker, a blue marker, uh-huh. and I take a red marker, and those represent knives. Uh-huh. And then we start doing jujitsu. Yeah, that's. And then that's we see cool. how much it works and how dead we would be. <laughs> did he also spar with it? Like, did, did you did he show him fighting the guy with the marker and then see if he could beat him? Yeah. Did, did how did he do? Oh, horrible! Horrible! Like he full was stabbed all the time. Yeah, full of marks. Yeah, I he said so. I would. I, I started to do jujitsu with the guy with the the thing. I, first he had to do was close distance. That was already horrible. Mm-hmm. Then after closing distance, uh, he tried to take him to the ground and take the marker away from the guy. And he kept going until the marker was gone. And of course, he beat him because Mm -hmm. it's insanely good. But then he stood up with a white T-shirt and the whole white T-shirt was like blue. Yeah, Yeah, I can can imagine. This is a nice segue to the following question. Since we are consistently simulating death and breaking and stuff like that, Mm-hmm. In, in mm-hmm. Shitsu, because it's simulation the only thing that keeps us safe from each other is literally that we respect each other's tap and it's insane to think that if one person doesn't respect, respect the tap or and this is also to me as terrifying doesn't hear the tap yeah or doesn't feel the tap yeah or you're too late and this happened a bunch of times with me already where i was unable to tap and for some reason like you I was trained to not make sound during jujitsu. Okay. Like, don't open your mouth. Okay. Because in old IBJJF rules, like, you mm-hmm. say something, you're disqualified. Mm-hmm. And we were highly, highly trained in IBJJF rules. So, um, you couldn't talk, you couldn't make noise. And that came from imagine if you got hit in the balls, if you stopped in IBJJF because of that, then there was a chance that you were disqualified. Okay. And that's it. Okay. It's a horrible, dirty. It's, it's crazy. So we would like if you got hit in the balls during training, you should continue, no matter mm. the pain. Daniel always says fighters don't have balls. <laughs> <laughs> they suck them in during training. So. During training. <laughs> that's the truth about the, they 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 have that legend with sumo fighters, right? Sumo fighters do breathing work that makes them able to. <laughs> <laughs> to suck in their balls? <laughs> to suck in their no balls way. and don't fight. Yeah. No way. I, that I, makes sense. Like if you were being pulled up by a string. I, mean, I know. And it kind of, it goes back into your body by training or something like yeah. that. Or with the underwear or something. They Dope. they say that. Don't know if it's true. Never checked. Uh, but I remember this legend going through my head uh, about, about this stuff. But yeah. Um, if we are continuously simulating life and death. Mm-hmm. How do you think about what is your thought about that? I'm going to jump down in her territory. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> this whole conversation got to the point where I wanted it to. <laughs> mm. And and this is in taking into consideration like how do you do jujitsu and its simulation of death constantly. And that has to have some effect yeah. about how you think about it. If you ever stop to think about it. Yeah. Mm. And then like, the question is very general. What I think of death or more... Like, yeah, this is like a bit more guidance. Um, 
Let's say it like this. Uh, we went. We were talking about like if somebody doesn't respect the tap, yes, or yes. you are unable to tap because of a let's go specific a choke. Yes. Right. Does that thought ever run through your head, mm-hmm. and does that make you ever think about like, ah, yeah, oh yeah, my god, sure. I could have been dead or I could have been broken or something like that? Do you dwell yeah. on that thought? Like normally, it's not really a danger. I think to to actually die because mm-hmm. in the training room there will always be someone that sees. Yeah, he's out. Bart isn't <laughs> moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, <laughs> stop it! Exactly. But one time I was um, during Corona, rolling in the basement. Um, yeah. Um, and then I was just rolling there with with Lawrence, my friend. Yeah. He did this. Um, just so you know that if I would cut this piece out during Corona, <laughs> I was rolling in the basement and I would send it out into the world. People would go, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> if, if you cut out the the Corona part, the people already like, <laughs> "What's this?" <laughs> rolling in the basement. <laughs> Yeah. That's weird shit we do. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. But with Lawrence, um, he um, sacrificed his basement to put some mats. Uh, still mm-hmm. trainer, awesome. Really grateful for that. And um, he put a baseball choke on me. Uh, I tried to pass, and that's the, the sneaky thing with, with these things. Like at the moment you pass, they actually get on. And then I went to his back because he turned underneath me, and I went at his back. And then you have this like, you feel the choke is on, but you think you can. You can handle it and you can like have this extra two seconds to strip the grip, stake his back and actually win the match. But then on his back, I went out and of course he can't see it. Um, I'm laying on his back and yeah, then you don't really know if there's weight on someone or not. So at some point he stood up and he threw me off apparently and he saw that I wasn't moving. So then um, that would have been a real scenario that I could have died. Um, but that's also the only way, the only time I actually like really went out and it changed the way I look at that uh, that a bit because it was very peaceful um, went unconscious didn't feel any pain I woke up thinking that I was in the hospital because the basement is white and like I just saw the ceiling why is that oh, this, this is like a hospital or heaven I'm not sure what it's not. it felt very peaceful and I went home and um, I, I constantly had a thought maybe this is how dying feels and if that's how dying feels you just like go slowly into a black abyss and everything is gone it feels peaceful that's not all that scary <laughs> so that's like uh like one thing that that it changed benefits of jiu-jitsu, benefits you, of jiu-jitsu. you don't fear dying anymore <laughs> and, and if you take it into um, a larger thing like this is you're talking about one training where someone cannot uh, can like not respect the tap and you get you get severely injured but as a jiu-jitsu athlete, you also have quite a limited life. At the moment, you're mm. 35, 40. Um, you might not be. Your body might be might be done. I uh, feel fucking old now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how old you are. You, you don't look 35. <laughs> 34. <laughs> 34. Okay. Um, but but if you're if you're an athlete, at some point your um, body just yeah, doesn't work anymore. Does. Hey, let me tell you something. I got 34 and I'm like, ah, I have to change my game up. <laughs> yeah. And, and people, you have been living a certain life as an athlete. You have been competing, you have been training and you have to let that go at some point. And for me, when I think about it, even though I'm quite far removed from that, you still have to prepare for that in a way. Yeah. And that's the same, I feel, with, with dying. You don't know exactly when you die, but if there's nothing seriously happens before you're 35 or before you average age of that I think it's 87 now then you at some point die and you have to prepare for that in a in a certain way and I think 
jiu-jitsu is then life in like a a micro form of life it's like very very many parallels between jiu-jitsu and and the, the whole life so by thinking about okay i'm an athlete now at 35 40 i might be done then you are finished your first life and you're already prepared for dying actually dying it makes any sense and it does yeah. it does and then that makes it for me like quite peaceful in a way like of course it's not nice to let go but because it's just inevitable and you what you do so you know it's inevitable you cannot compete until you like of course there are people that compete when they're 55 60 but if you want to be a world champion on like a normal and like the the adult level um then at some point you're over your expiration date um you have to prepare for that and then i think that's a yeah. great way to also prepare for dying you hear that cyborg you're done <laughs> <laughs> cyborg you're too old no i'm not I'm joking back my again i know what you mean and i love the the the, the comparison with like a micro universe yeah. and like every five minutes you do jujitsu or my five minutes of sparring it's kind of that you know you agree to go into this in a way i would say mm -hmm. and then you're just struggle and if you struggle in the right way you have it easy yeah. <laughs> And if you struggle in the wrong way, you're gonna have it hard, you know? So that's, again, it's, to me, everything is a little bit of a path to heaven and hell. Mm. And I say heaven and hell, and you guys don't need to, to, to consider that, but it's a, a path to a, a little bit of a, uh, to a good ending and a bad ending if Absolutely. you score a video game. <clears throat> and I know if you do too, I think it would be a good ending if you have tried, you have trained very, you have trained the best you can, you did your best. If you, if you have certain goals and you don't succeed in these goals, but you at least tried, um, then you can look at your career back in a positive way, I think. And f it feels for me the same with, well, on the other hand, if you have some certain goals, but you don't work towards them at all, like you just don't show up to trainings, all these kind of things, and then you're done with your competitive career, if you even make it to, to that age, um, you think back and probably regret not putting in more effort and i guess it's the same when you're at the age of dying at the moment you look back and you have certain goals you wanted to accomplish things um and you put in the effort to succeed in that even if it didn't succeed you look back in a positive way and you're okay with letting go well the other way around if you didn't do that and you're the age of 75 80 you regret um a lot of your things then dying might be quite scary yeah it's also the path, yeah. Which is then the the hell and the heaven path again. Yeah. If you look back and you enjoyed it, that's yeah. a that's the thing, right? You're like you're satisfied. You're yeah. satisfied in it. I guess that's the the word. You're satisfied. You're satisfied in the training that you did. You're satisfied with the things that you did, and you're like, I did my best. I got better. Yeah. Kept working to get better. I'm satisfied in the fact that I kept going. Hmm. I kept doing it. How is it for you? How does you just change your perception of that and dying? I, I would say, funny enough, same, the first time I went out, baseball choke. <laughs> <laughs> classic, in the classic. Game, in the game. And I remember the exact thing that happened. And um, I was fighting, shout out to Walid. He's in Resistance, uh, no, wait, Renaissance in Belgium. Okay. And we started doing jiu-jitsu together. He was a little bit better than me. Just a little Still bit. Is. But no, I caught up to that motherfucker. Okay. Hey, nice, listen nice. to me. No. <laughs> or maybe not. I haven't trained with him for a while. <laughs> no, but he's also a black belt. Amazing fighter. 
and I will always um, the, we had a really good training. Although he was like way lighter than me, mm-hmm. we were able to really train together because one of the focuses that I had was he had the focus of being like really technically good, and I and he brought me into that as well. So I try to rely on my strength and my weight as little as possible. That's very good. Which made which turned me into a guard player. Um, I remember then that I got him in a sweep and the moment I got him in the sweep his hand was already all the way in to to do the, the, the thing and I didn't know we just heard about the, the 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 this was when it just came out that 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 what's it called again the baseball mm-hmm. joke well the, we saw Majid Hajj do it okay and knock somebody out Sick. like years ago this is years ago remember who he joked out I think it was Clark Gracie. Yeah, I remember. I also thought it was Gracie. Yeah, yeah it was Clark Gracie. Yeah, I think it was Clark Gracie. And he choked out Clark Gracie. And that's the one. And then I think the next week, he did it to me. So, so that, <laughs> that's how long ago I started this shit. And he did it to me. And I remember like, this shit doesn't work. And he was turning. And I was like, I'll just catch his arm and armbar him. Yeah. And I remember looping the arm, uh-huh. grabbing my own lapel holding his hip so he wouldn't escape and turn more putting my knee there and bringing my leg over and then waking up doing spider guard on my coach <laughs> <laughs> and my coach was like screaming at me calm down calm down calm down so what happened you went out and then the whole gym yeah! <laughs> I had the most horrible gym to train at no they were awesome and that Love was it. that was what happened and i remember at that point that i was quiet for a long time because i was like that was too easy that was too easy for me to go out mm. you know that was easy to me to go down um but the whole life and death thing with jujitsu it it brings back the the it just gives me a short reminder of like oh uh, i was dead oh uh, i lost an arm Oh, I think it's like I, that's how serious sometimes I take the the thing, right? When somebody chokes me, like, ah, that was me gone, mm. gone. Mm. Like it, I'm an I'm an extra life now, mm. you know. <laughs> that's the thing. But my whole view on life and death has, of course, been um, mutated and and changed and and brought into a different perspective because of the world view of uh, being religious. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, you know. So I know that I was going over there, and in my head, in the back of my mind, was like, I wasn't going to a bad place where it was ending. And my story would continue. Yeah, in heaven. You have like three lives to do two, mm-hmm. no more. Mm-hmm. Then, then I then whatever comes that, and I, I it got so bad with jujitsu. I loved it so much. I still do. I still love it so much that I was like, at the end, I was thinking like, uh, I pray a lot. So one of the prayers I had like, is there gonna be jujitsu in heaven? <laughs> Like, do I want to go there if they don't have sparring? <laughs> That's how bad it got. And I, I'm not ashamed to say that I loved it and I love it uh, so much that that was one of the, the prerequisites I had. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, and it was a serious thing. I'm not ashamed to say it. Like I was, I was saying, like, the things that I love so much on earth, are they, I'm going, am I going to see them mm-hmm. in the future? And I think after that point when I got choked out, I remember clearly thinking like all, everything might black out and then I might make up wake up and I woke up in a daze as if I wasn't like 
I was really doing like spider guard on my coach because your coach put the legs up. Yeah, exactly. You and I immediately I grabbed the thing. Like such an automatic reaction. Automatically, I grabbed his things and I started doing spider guard. And he was like, "Stop, stop, stop! Let go, let go!" And like, no. You see, with the MMA fighters that go out, the referee helps them like awake and they go a single leg and he's not resting up. It's like so automatic. <laughs> and then they wake up and they go like. Where am I? Yeah. Oof! And I had the same thing, and but it it took me a little bit longer to like uh, really sort out what was going on in 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 the aspect of like, all right, that might have been it, you know. I actually sat down and forced my thought all the way through, you know, like what then? Then mm. I would have missed mm. all this. And what got me was the fact that I was thinking about all the things that I would miss here. Mm-hmm. Not as much all the things that I didn't do yet, but mostly all the things that I would miss if I would go to heaven. And the other way around, that I would miss if I would go to hell, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, no, there's Jiu-Jitsu in hell, definitely. <laughs> definitely, there's Jiu-Jitsu in hell. <laughs> <laughs> but then Jiu-Jitsu with like Gordon Ryan, who is non-stop smashing you, like no. non-stop smothered tapping Oh my, you. no, Roberto Jimenez constantly ripping your, 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 <laughs> exactly. your ankle with that insane, insane, <laughs> insane heel hook. Man, that was a merciless heel hook he gave it. You see yeah. it? I think it, yeah. yeah. There was one, yeah, there's a video of like somebody... Uh, he, somebody was in half guard with Roberto Jimenez and he stood the the leg up that mm. was in half guard so the guy would start doing leg attacks but his heel was lo- lo- just it left wasn't it. like an Emerald Invitational tournament right? I don't it was an Invitational I think yeah, I don't it, remember yeah. and, and there was a lot of commotion about it like is it allowed to rip someone so hard um, but of course it is yeah of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. It's but we're people were, if, if it's the same thing, I saw people on Instagram commenting like, yeah, this, this, that, break his knee, end his life. Is it morally okay is a different question. Or is it ethical? Is it ethical to do it is one thing. Is it, are you allowed to do it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you can sleep at night, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, do it. But if it, like, should you do it? That's the other thing. I think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like remind you're, you're, remind in, me in a, not to compete with you. <laughs> it's in a match, you're in a different moral framework. Like, it's not the same as in a, in a training room. You have different moral frameworks. And when you're competing with someone, that probably rips your leg as well. Yeah. Of course, yeah, you have I, to. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Like, I wouldn't... I would never go as hard as I would go in a... Yeah. In a... In a like, fighting, sparring. I wouldn't... I would never go as hard in a competition as I would go in sparring. And in, in a training room, like... Of course, it's still allowed to rip someone's leg like that, but yeah. you just don't do it. Then yeah. it's really morally wrong because you just injure someone during yeah. a training unnecessarily. You lose your partner. You, you lose your partner. That's that's not. No, that's not for it. No, no. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope I, I got close to answering the question about life and yeah. death in this. You, you I don't. I hope. I hope. Uh, I, I I think about about it. It's still a thing in my head. But like, what would it be like? Do you, have, do you have an image of heaven? What do you do you have like an expectation, or does is there something in the Bible about how heaven will look like? Oh yeah, um, streets of gold and the whole vision that we have on on Earth. You mm-hmm. know, like the whole depiction we have on Earth does come close to it in a way, like a peaceful, serene, uh, satisfied, and everything. Um, the next life as it how it's supposed to be you know and i think the best person to write about it and put it in the best way 
it's not necessarily the Bible because the Bible still deals with imagery that is from 5,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And somebody that wrote it in a be- better way is C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Nice. C.S. Lewis wrote it in a very, very nice way. Like uh, All of Narnia is, by the way, a Christian yeah. <laughs> allegory. Like heaven, hell. <laughs> like uh, like oh. all of Narnia, the books are like a like a allegory. It's like the story of the Bible, basically. And one of the other stories that he wrote is my the the magician's nephew and that has and i i won't i won't tell because i think that's a book worth reading Mm -hmm. uh that does give a very 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 good uh, example of what it is i would i would read it okay (laughs) that's it's a really good book for the recommendations (laughs) yes definitely (laughs) that's a really good one um but yeah man Life and death. We we went through a lot of stuff. Now, I see that we've been talking for a really good amount of time. And I will have to... I'm not going to say cut it short because we talked about a bunch of stuff. But there's uh, two questions I have. Okay. And um, we talked a lot about the chess and the studying and the things. And what is the benefit that it has brought you on a larger scale? Uh, doing jiu in this way. Because you do the study that mm. you did. Presumably because you, you're you trying to find work in that area. You enjoy doing it. And financially, you want to live of that. And then what what aspect does jiu-jitsu have or contribute to your life? Mm-hmm. Especially also, let's also consider the view of you being a man. Mm-hmm. What benefit does it have for you to be a man in your life? And for the community around it, because I do believe that everybody has this inherent thing of trying to be, do something that is good yeah. for the greater good. That's a very <laughs> difficult the fucked up question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to correct a little bit, I studied um, econometrics, but mm, and not necessarily, and right now, I don't necessarily want to find something that I want to live from YouTube eventually. Like Daniel. Ooh, um, beautiful, man. So... Of course, the econometric is nice. It's always a plan B if, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, YouTube doesn't work out. There's something to fall back on. But YouTube yeah. brought me a lot, and I want to yeah. like help other people also get the same happiness. Then the then the question changes a little bit. Okay. Why, out of all the choices in the world, of the things that you could do with your life, mm-hmm. would you say that oh, this is the one? Or mm-hmm. and with I ask this question not to go like uh, to to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, but it's more of like how that your choice in doing what you're doing right now uh, uh, would help somebody else find their purpose. Because I do believe that doing what you're doing right now and following up and everything that you're doing is kind of a purpose-driven thing. Like yeah. you have like, this is it, motherfucker. Yeah. I have found it. This tastes amazing. And this is it. And um, so that's that's the framework of the question. Let's mm. say it like that. It's like. How would how did you finding this as being the world real lifestyle and the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life? How did it become that way? Mm. And would you advise anybody else to do it? Yeah, that's so. That's definitely a yes. Yeah. Uh, hard yes. Um, so I think that many people. Mm, um, so I have been raised religious as well and at some point um, 
that was I couldn't really find the it didn't fit for me like I couldn't mm. understand the theology didn't always make sense for me and when you're religious there's a lot of structure in your life you have and you have a community there's a a purpose you have something to live for after to live for because after you die you will still have a, a life you have someone to to worship and to praise and then when that falls away um, there is some form of a, a, an abyss I think that's the right English word there is not really a, a structure not really a, a purpose unless you create something yourself um, that's how I how I feel and many people I think don't create a purpose they are living a life and they don't necessarily know what they live for um, they don't they just do their whatever happens to them happens um, and then when I started doing ju doing jiu-jitsu initially I didn't see it as that big part of my life like I was studying my plan was to get some some job with that um, more or less live like like that life like that not necessarily having a purpose but you study you go to the company you make some money and then whatever eventually you you die um then when i was that doing was one of my greatest fears as well yeah yeah and then when i was doing jiu-jitsu um i suddenly like was doing something i really enjoyed uh it really being on the mat gave me a form of happiness and not in the beginning but eventually also a big form of purpose i saw how it structured my life in a better way i noticed how um there was something to live for and this sounds as if i'm deep if i was depressed but that's not not the case no. um but just the the feeling you you get from it and i also noticed with other people how people that are actually depressed and started training jiu-jitsu um suddenly healed is maybe the right word or got out of this depression got through this depression mm. because the things they lacked as in a structure a meaning they could find to root jiu-jitsu uh, that's, uh, sorry that's a good point you make like uh what something that i also believe in i looked into not an expert but there's significant sorry, not the next i'm not an expert uh, uh. but there's a significant difference in being not having a direction into go in and being depressed yeah. like like if you have a direction to go in you can be still be depressed and if you have don't have a direction to go in you be can be completely fine yeah. you know yeah. so just I, I like that you mentioned that which i also highlight in this moment you mm. know like if yeah. you, good to like get the ones yeah and then probably there are also different forms of depression i can i think you have like an existential depression which is more the people that are depressed because i don't have a reason a direction to go in mm. and people that are depressed simply quote-unquote because there is a chemical imbalance. chemical imbalance in their in their brain um anyway and then started doing jutsu i've done it as my example i um which is in a way a big coincidence maybe a freak accident quote-unquote which don't really happen <laughs> uh, he proves that it's possible to as one of the first persons in the Netherlands to live from jiu-jitsu to yeah. make a career out of that um, and that's very inspiring um, and then combined with getting a purpose out of that seeing how it could bring other people purpose um, I thought that's a, 
a beautiful thing to to strive for to um, eventually help people get the same happiness and purpose in their life um, through the jutsu. Hmm. Um, so then, that is how jutsu like kind of changed a lot for me because I went from studying, not having a big plan in my life, to actually having a a plan. Um, to the other part of the question, what it does with me as a man. Um, never really thought about it, but um, I think one of the things that it really changed that I got more confident. I've mm. always been quite confident um, and never really felt as if I was in any danger. But now when I'm in a conversation, to, to some extent, extreme the most extreme thing in a conversation that can happen in a bad conversation <laughs> is that you go fight. And now when I'm in a conversation, I know, yeah, whatever happens, if it would go to fighting, except yeah. when they have a knife or a gun, I would be able to fuck this person up. <laughs> so that gives you quite a lot of relaxation and confidence yeah. to talking to people. It lets you say a bunch of shit. <laughs> exactly, it lets you say a bunch of shit. You can just go through life unnerved. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Um, so I think that with masculinity, that's how my masculinity changed. Like you get more confident, more relaxed, you know that you can say a bunch of shit without yeah um, kind of kind of we, we still stay normal uh, yeah I, I do get what you're what you're saying and that is definitely one something another thing that i want to say is like sitting down talking on a podcast having all these questions thrown at you i mean that that requires a lot of confidence and courage you know yeah. to sit down and go like yo shit i'm gonna <laughs> do this I, although we feel nervous man you did it's, it's quite out of my comfort zone to be honest you did insanely I good we we, we talked more than we are over two hours now but of course not only duration but also quality quote unquote. oh the quality is amazing <laughs> <laughs> but like, i don't really enjoy enjoy talking a lot myself um so then this is quite out of my comfort zone but at yeah. the same time with jiu-jitsu i always try to get into as many uncomfortable positions as possible so when you <laughs> offer this i thought if i like practice what I preach, then I also have to sit here right? <laughs> you as, you as uncomfortable as possible. Hey, you you practice the, the shit out of this preaching. <laughs> 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 Amazingly done, man. Um, last question. Okay. What's the message you want to bring out to every single person that is listening to this? If there's mm. something that you want to give along to people, it, it could be anything, anything. I have people say everything already from short answers to long answers to recommendations to nothing i would like give a recap so if you like the whole podcast was too long then listen this uh first of all if you're good in economics you can become a drug dealer <laughs> um, <laughs> <Come> on, <girl. laughs> then if you are um afraid of dying um be choked by a baseball choke uh, <laughs> the fear will definitely Leave lessen <laughs> Um, if you're afraid of dying, uh, see a jiu-jitsu career as like a preparation for dying and you're <laughs> going through this anyway and you can do it. You look back, you know when you're happy with a jiu-jitsu career and you can do the um, same thing in your life. Um, then also would, but th that's, that's like a, doesn't really count because many people that are listening to this, they already... Um, do jiu-jitsu but if you don't do jiu-jitsu definitely do it and um, maybe more to the people that 
to jiu-jitsu as beginners. Uh, the first few months are definitely tough, but at the moment you go through that, you will for sure um, get a lot out of it. Like it changes your life for the better 100% and um, you get more happiness, more purpose, more structure. That's something I think we should all strive for. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And I want to highlight that making the choice to make this your lifestyle and build it up and create it is very, very, it's very courageous. It's amazing because I love the sport and I do believe that even if you don't follow it to be your a hundred your lifestyle, because there's other things you can do and have to do, um, it is still one of the best tools out there for life itself. It's one of the best tools for life. It's not a tool for, for oh, how to get through depression, oh, how to get to this, oh, how to do that. Or it's a, it's a tool that will that is life combat opposition uh, and consequence dealing with that mm. there is. You know, it's a, it's a very complete and very good tool. It's like a Swiss knife. It's like a Swiss knife. Do anything. With arm bars and footlocks <laughs> and guns and shit. You know. cool. Bart, thank you very much for this. Thank you very and much. Too. I loved having you. And guys, if you love this, please give Bart a follow. I will link all the stuff that is related to Bart in the uh, book.